0: Oh man, yo! Welcome to the pod. This is the first pod with all three of us. Is it? Um, yeah. I mean, because you oh, were yeah. on before, but I was not part of the cast at that point.
1: Oh yeah, it was just me and Isabel sitting together, being sad. Yeah, okay, just <laughs> yeah. Look,
0: and and you. It's. I think this is a big moment for the podcast because you are oft referenced.
1: Oh. <laughs> really. <laughs>
0: Off yeah. reference. If you
2: listen, if you listen to it, you would know every time we <laughs> talk about you. Yeah, we oh, talk about no. you frequently,
0: and it's not. um I think we don't. We typically don't say your name, obviously. <laughs>
2: well, but we're whatever. like, oh, our friend. Our friend. Okay. But
1: it's. I want to know, know what my code name is. <laughs> is what it, is my code name? Anything good? Are you like our friend Anastasia? She. No,
0: just, we just say our friend. No. We don't give you a code. We don't name. give you a
1: code <laughs> I thought I was hoping there would be a disclaimer like all names in this have been redacted, <laughs> redacted. <laughs> for the privacy of the individual. Welcome
2: back to I'm the villain. Today we are talking with our friend Kristen Bose Hayes about workplace diversity. She was actually on a previous episode, the grief episode. And um so but in case you don't remember her, do you want to just give like a quick like one sentence like, you know, anything you think our listeners should know about you?
1: Sure. Um whereas I may be an expert on grief, I am uh not an expert on diversity and inclusion matters, but I am uh, very active in different social justice movements and i have thought a lot about this at work um for i don't know clarity i am a white lady cisgender lady uh who's gay uh and i work in pretty buttoned up places so i've thought a lot about you know what does diversity actually look like uh and and like you don't have
0: to carry the weight of this one on, on your own because like i'm black and stuff you know
2: Okay, good, good, good. Well, d- I mean, <laughs> you've also been asked to be on diversity boards. Has that ever, act- have you ever actually like been on those types of committee things? Yeah,
1: definitely. Yeah. I mean, I started the LGBT alumni network, for instance, at Swarthmore. Um, yeah. And so that was very interesting. And I, I I, feel like I've been involved in a lot of like, quote unquote, diversity efforts um, at work. And, and I mean, like I'm in all the networks, it feels like, um, but.
0: Uh, Isabel, have you ever been involved in a diversity effort?
1: Well, I've been involved
2: in a presidential search committee, mm. which like was a super interesting hiring process, also for Swarthmore. Um, and diversity certainly played a major role, and it was really interesting to see how that played out because the, the, the committee that I was on was a combination of like members of the board of managers of Swarthmore, but it also had students faculty and staff and we all basically had this is like actually an example in my opinion of like a really really well run committee because we all i would say really had equal say genuinely at the end of the day in that process um and it was i mean like basically we ended up hiring like the first black woman president to swarthmore so that was like huge Mm -hmm. for us um Yeah, I think that it's funny because at SWAT we do this like, you know, diversity orientation type thing. And there is this one guy who was from Peru, right, who was literally in this at the very beginning of the training. He was like, excuse me, can someone explain to me why we are having this training? Why do we care about diversity? Because in my country in Peru, nobody ever has once cared about this right and it's interesting (laughs) because it does seem like a somewhat american ideal that has maybe now spread to other countries because everyone is westernizing but a lot of other countries are like we don't give a shit about diversity like we're perfectly happy being homogenous and in fact prefer it right
0: (laughs) and in fact prefer it but but here's the thing how much how much like how homogenous is peru very you know
2: Apparently. That's according to him. I have never looked at the actual statistics, but I mean, according to this kid, he's like, yeah, yeah. Peru is super
0: homogenous. Well, then, of of course, it doesn't matter to him. Like, he doesn't, I don't think he has a, (laughs) he probably doesn't have a scope of, like, how non-homogenous America is.
1: Right. I feel like that's definitely, this is definitely the American example that I think, applies to a lot of Western, quote unquote, Western cultures. I don't even know if you have to quote unquote that Western cultures that have a history of like colonialism and things like that. But I also think that you probably the normative slash homogenous dilemma or experience in a lot of cultures that we would consider Diverse, um, like in Latin America, they are also having reckoning with other issues of like diversity issues, like, for instance, with the LGBT community in Latin America being like, wait a minute, you know, so I, I even if I feel like the racial experience isn't the same as the US where we literally had slavery and all and like a history of black and like and and whatever like, you know, and like, like all different putting you the know, Japanese people in concentration yeah, exactly. camp whatever
2: there's like every single minority has some exactly. kind of thing <laughs> they can bring up right <laughs> we like
1: we're just like the worst we're the Chinese
0: with the yeah yeah you know the what
1: I'm getting at is like we're the worst <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so maybe that's why it's particularly egregious and like <laughs> what I'm getting at
0: is we're the worst. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Um, yeah but maybe maybe in other countries they struggle with their own stuff so I feel like that's that would definitely be my response to that is like you know your culture probably also is you know having issues yeah. with diversity too they just look different and yeah
0: <laughs> I like I like the energy of that guy though hey number one why are we here yeah. <laughs> let's talk exactly. about that
1: that was very
2: much his energy and it's all kind <laughs> of a hard question to answer yeah. on the fly like that because like you know, if you're a school and you're like, "Oh, well, we think that like ideological diversity is going to make everyone's experience in class better." Like it all but it just sounds like kind of a weak argument if you're just trying to come up with something off the cuff. You
1: know what I mean? Right. I think they literally just have to be like, "We value diversity." And then the person has to like figure out why. But then you actually interrogate that and you're like, <laughs> okay and i feel like that's a really worthwhile conversation like why do we value diversity which i i definitely i mean have a lot of feelings I think, about but I, I think
0: the why is yeah. i think the why is really important because without the why that's how you get people that like feel like they're being fucked over by affirmative action because they're white dudes exactly right?
1: exactly like,
2: But the why is like I think a lot of people try to mask it as being this oh having a more ideological space will make the experience better in a very nebulous way or this will make our company more money but like at the end of the day it's really a moral argument right at the end of the day it's literally just saying like these people have been oppressed and we're trying to like undo the effects of that oppression
1: right and I I always thought it was really interesting Um, somewhere I worked they always said it's about whether or not you can do the job and like literally create the work product. And we that's all we care about. So we think that anybody can do that as long as they're qualified to do that. But obviously getting people in the door <laughs> that are diverse, that you would consider quali- like qualified applicants is a whole other issue. But it is really interesting because once because that almost takes away the diversity like the value of diversity it really just says oh we it's like it's like the basic equality kind of as opposed to the nuances. it it completely
0: masks the like it completely overshadows the component of like okay i'm black when i get in there are y'all gonna let me fucking do anything
1: right exactly it's like oh you know we think anybody can do the job but then when the job you know it comes to promotion and there's a different job (laughs) it's (laughs) like oh we don't actually i don't know i don't know
0: (laughs) i don't know sorry not qualified
1: uh, but it's also interesting because presumably under that model, you would see a lot more. I don't know. Maybe you wouldn't. But I I would presume under that model that you would actually see a lot more minorities in positions of power. Because if you were truly just being like, can you do the job? Did you outperform these people? Let's get brutal about this. You know, like then you would, might see that, but you don't. And I think that that's really telling. That's and a that's good why point. i never thought about that. that. Yeah. I think that's but what. About what? Like the fact if you, that. If it, yeah, go ahead. Yeah. Yeah. That if you really just said like we value you because you can do the job and then that doesn't actually equate to more minorities being in positions of power because, you know, that those people can do the job, and it's not just like there are there are no minorities that can do those jobs at higher levels. Yeah, and then that's this that's obviously just in contrast to what the theory is that you're working yeah. under, which is like why if you, it's if just, you
0: say that yeah. and you still don't have minorities, then you're obviously just super racist because like black people can't do this job.
1: Right. Exactly.
2: <laughs> Especially <that's, laughs> the the yeah. reason why it's cons- it's like so associated with liberalism as opposed to conservatism because it's directly at odds with this notion of like a meritocracy. mm Hmm.
1: Right. Exactly. Well, and that's exactly the word that has been used is, oh, it's just a meritocracy. And I'm like, that loses so much nuance. You are just... Really, and it's, yeah. it's something that people are so uncomfortable with.
0: No, no place is just a meritocracy. It's not. It's just not true. There's
1: and and it's it's you know there are, there's office politics, and that's obviously racialized, and that's obviously you know politicized in all these different ways. And then so it's just like you can't you can't say that anything is just a meritocracy right now. And I think that that's something that people have. I mean, obviously, we talk about this a lot with like the white working class, the meritocracy conversation, and I think that that translates really well to these environments of you know white predominantly white places that are institutions that are just reinforcing that meritocracy conversation because it's just not realistic it's like you know that that implies that you actually think that a lot of minorities just actually don't merit a race especially because literally look at the
2: stats you're working with here there's a billion people in india right like (laughs) what are you talking about like there's billions of people in china right worldwide white people are in the minority and if you're like an international company right like you should be basically predominantly indian and chinese right if you're literally just going (laughs) off of like a meritocracy right
0: because then because then it because then if that's true we you're right we literally should just be like like your your workforce should just match the proportions of what well proportions of
2: but also in proportion to how much how many actual resources those countries have to like train their population as well right but yeah, because places true. like India are really like doing these really really intensive like focusing on STEM and like churning out tons and tons of people who were because like literally at Fannie Mae more than half of my office at least in this like literal particular office building is like Indian right because we're it's a tech office right and like just we just recruit tons and tons of people from india
1: yeah i think from an employee standpoint it's always really interesting being part of diversity groups um, and as opposed to being let's say like a diversity and inclusion coordinator formally as a job because i feel like we've always been in the position of being asked for recommendations which is very interesting because it is asking the people who are there to like get something out of these groups to do the work of figuring out how to make your office environment better. And I think that's why it's super important to have an actual job in HR or whoever, Um, somebody who actually does those policies. Because like you were on the presidential search committee, I feel like you could lend your voice as from your positionality and everything, but in, it's it's odd because, you know, we weren't... I've, I've never been brought on as, like, I don't think the diversity person necessarily mm-hmm. uh, to talk about um, the issue um, or to make a decision. But I've definitely often been the only, like, m- voice of diversity of any kind in, like, white male environments. Um, and so... I feel like it's a multi-pronged question because it's like, what do I get out of it? Do I actually, you know, make a difference in the culture of a giant workplace? You know, do I actually, yeah, like, is, is there any difference being made? Um, is, I think a big question is always like, is just being there and having an alternative quote-unquote viewpoint helpful to diversify the views that are there? And I think that's definitely true. I think that helping workplaces realize that the culture is not monolithic and people's experience is not all the same is very helpful, um, to just starting those conversations. Um, but it's also, um, interesting because, you know, at my former employer, I was one of two people in the office's gay like group. Um, so the, to the extent that we were able to, fr- you know, find community in a group of two people <laughs> was <like> kind of <laughs> not really there. And then kind of at the same time I had been asked basically, like, you know, if you care so much about this and you're doing such a great job bringing these things to our attention, what if we just kind of informally had you be our diversity and inclusion person? And I was like, nope. "Oh, I actually do like financial regulation. I don't have anything to do with that. Like, as a, from a, I don't have any training in this whatsoever. I'm just telling you what I think." Um, so anyway, I I feel like it's definitely an interesting. I don't know. I don't know how to balance the two. I'm like, okay, I'm just trying to be, you know, raise some awareness here. I don't know.
2: Yeah, it's yeah. funny because people just assume that like, oh, well, this person's diverse, they can do this job, but like, it actually does require like. <laughs> Training. Literal training, right? <laughs> to like understand all of these, like where people are coming from and stuff like that. Like, I think for us on the presidential search committee, at least, we didn't explicitly be like, okay, we want to hire somebody who's not just like a white man. But uh, the way that we approached it is like a lot of the ways that we framed our questions were around diversity, right? And so, like for example. One of the questions we would ask people candidates is like how would you promote more diversity amongst the faculty right mm-hmm. how would you get more like women in the computer science department knowing that that's like a really tough position to be in and exactly like you were mentioning like you often get all of this unpaid labor that you are then asked to do by being the token woman or the token black person the token whatever in any group that's more that's like monolithic right and what what the person who who ended up getting hired, um, Val Smith said, which which I thought was a really good idea, was this notion of hiring people in pods right instead of saying I'm just gonna hire this one woman when we have this one position open saying actually we're gonna try to hire like a group of like three positions together and you'll say to the women like if you agree to come we you know we'll also hire these other two women so that you won't be like the one person in this environment who's trying to advocate for like you know, all of all women, right?
1: <laughs> and now you are the advocate for all women. <laughs> yeah, I I think that's a good idea. I mean, those are the kind of things, for instance, that I would never think of. But I also, but like, I I also think it's important to be like, okay, you know, for my positionality, I'm just again not a professional, so I don't know what would be the right recommendation, for instance, for people of color in the workplace, how to make this a more. I can think of them and do the work myself to. To, to like investigate that. But at the end of the day, making a recommendation just as a like blanket diversity candidate isn't necessarily going to be a one size fits all workable policy. So I, I feel like that's why we talk a lot about when like t- taking very seriously people's recommendations when they do have them or their complaints and things like that, but not making them actually be the person who implements them because that doesn't make any sense unless they're literally hired in and paid for that position and therefore have a lot of, you know, great insight and are professionally, you know, prepared to do that.
0: I think that's where like the narrative of like companies need to actually invest in DEI stuff as opposed to doing stuff that may be just a quote unquote tick a box. Like I feel like it's really easy to form a a DEI committee and just say, all right, come up with some recommendations which I'm I'm on my jobs DEI committee too.
2: No, what is DEI? Diversity, equity and inclusion. And
0: inclusion. Okay. Sorry, that's that's some jargon shit. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um yeah, and and I feel like I was kind of like, okay, I'm I'm here cuz I'm interested in the work and they were like, yeah, we like are getting input in the DEI priorities of the company this year. Um and I was like, oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> like, okay, so that's cool.
1: Well, I, I guess that's one of the questions too that brings to mind the question of Is are those recommendations just things that are like how to ideally have a safe workplace where you're not getting harassed and things like that or people aren't saying overtly or implicitly racist things, etc. Or is it somewhere where you're actually coming because you think that you can thrive and and like be your quote unquote whole self? And that's something I hosted a discussion last week with a women's network that I'm in in financial services around um, bringing your whole self to work and what that looks like. And I, for instance, spoke to the experience of being quote unquote straight passing in the queer community. So getting to choose whether or not I quote unquote bring myself to work and the like shame slash the. Whole pride conversation about that, but that there are other people, you know, whether you're trans or black or whatever, who have to kind of implicitly, explicitly, you know, be themselves, quote unquote, at work, but can't bring other parts of culture and other and your background and things like that to work um, if you're out, for instance, as you're trans.
2: But do you feel like those committees, like actually, like it, you know, in good faith? are valued by these organizations and companies? Or is it just like a check, you know, like just paying lip service to like, oh, you know, if we don't have this, we're going to look bad. So I, we got to have
1: it. It totally depends on on what the holistic like program is, like Deandre was saying, because I've had experience with both. I literally came to my new job because the primary factor was that they are the most diverse firm in the industry um and to also realize that it's not actually that diverse is also important but um as part of that that is actually because there is a huge cultural difference between some of my experiences at places where it is just the checked box and the other side of the coin which is like oh no we actually see the value in this and we actually see everybody being comfortable and being able to thrive and be themselves and quote unquote bring themselves their whole selves to work uh, as being a benefit. And I really do believe that where I work actually does believe that. Uh, And that's that's really new. Like that's something that's really cool.
2: Because when I was first working at my first job in D.C. at Tech Change, I had to make this course called the Business Case for gender diversity or like gender inclusion or whatever and it was a course that was supposed to be given to like all of these like CEOs um in I don't know like all over the world um and in a lot of like international contexts and A lot of it was like, you know, taking these statistics and being like, oh, look, women make 90% of the, you know, domestic consumer decisions in the household, right? Like you can't have a successful business, any kind of like consumer or retail business without appealing to women and not and having women on your board, right? But like the thing that felt really, really cognitively dissident to me as I was making that course is like. But if you look at the most successful businesses in almost any industry, the whole point is that they're not diverse, which is why everyone thinks that this is an issue, right? Google's not diverse. I'm sure
1: whatever like, you know, fashion is not very diverse. But I don't <laughs> fashion like but, but can you attribute their success to them not being diverse? I don't think that that's necessarily there's a causal relationship there yeah. because I think I don't think a, you can. Yeah.
0: I don't think you can, but I think you can certainly say, Well, none of these other companies are diverse. Why do I have to be a diverse? True. Like,
2: right. I think that they're like I think that a very reasonable person could make the argument that like if it's true that there is a quote unquote business case, right? And that having a more diverse company will indeed bring you more revenue and make you more successful, then why isn't it that all of these diverse
1: companies are not out competing these less diverse companies, right? I think there are so many factors. A lot of diverse companies actually don't have any diversity in leadership. Um, and that, I think, is literally just if you if you think about, you know, the predominantly white institutions of, you know, education and things like that, and all of these, quote unquote, like successful businesses being a pipeline from like Harvard Business School to insert Fortune 500 company or financial institution or whatever, um, that you're going to just have the same rotation so but once those institutions become less white and more diverse in general you no longer can just say like we can only hire you know these non-diverse candidates because the talent that's coming out genuinely is Actually, there and it, it it does require you to be more diverse. So, like I think people talk about that being a pipeline problem, um, and and that one of the ways to make incremental change is to get more people in those institutions and to support people of varied backgrounds. Because I think a lot of times what these companies value is, for instance, having like a Harvard grad, or you know, when you're at you know really fancy law firms, having a Yale law grad and things like that. And then when half if half of your you know class is are women and half of your class are um, other, you know, minorities of some kind, then you can't just be like, oh, I guess we'll only take the one when you need to hire 10 people that are quality applicants. Um, But that is also saying that, I mean, that looks completely past the issue of actually digging in and trying to actually hire from more diverse institutions, for instance, like um, going to, like, predominantly or historically black uh, universities colleges and universities and and other schools and not just being like okay we're only interested in Yale and things like that or uh, for those institutions specifically at least
0: if you want to be like about this shit and about like you know the creating an environment that feels safe for people you know for minorities or like diverse people it's not just about hiring it's about like making sure that once they're in your organization that they have the support that they need.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: And I think that, you know, I've definitely heard stories of companies, you know, even in the nonprofit space that are like, yeah, like we have a lot of diverse junior staff. Um, but once they get here, there are like some real like precocious senior staff that give like, that get seem to give them a lot of trouble and, or, they don't feel like they have you know community community with other um with other dei people once they're in the org itself which you know is goes back to the trying not to tokenize people and things of that nature um and you know all this comes back to like at the end of the day diversity can't be a checkbox for a company but i think that maybe a not enough thought is put in on the back end about you know, what it means to, like, fully be a supportive workplace for people that, you know, in all actuality, like, may, may not have ever had an office job before and or may not have had anyone in their family that's
1: never had an office job before. Yeah, exactly. Uh, I was recently talking to somebody about the fact that there's this culture of perfectionism a lot of times in the workplace and specifically as it's tied to creating a culture of what is what is professionalism I guess in the office place context and how very very often you know for people like you were mentioning who are it's their first job in an office etc they don't have family members who are people who worked in offices I mean for instance I you know I'm not a great example, but even in my family, I had somebody who ran a family small business and uh, somebody who worked in a school. And I did have a aunt who, you know, had a professional job. But without that, I mean, it was a very uphill climb to, you know, sitting in all the counselors offices in college and things like that and understanding, you know, email etiquette and having my sister forward me emails so that I could get down the lingo and understand all of those things and. Um, but it's very evident that when we have folks who don't necessarily come in with that background of of having people to ask and all of those things, they're immediately seen as kind of unfit to do the job, which I don't agree with. And I I think that it requires like you're saying, a cultural shift that's more than just, oh, you check the box, but you're actually going to be brutally uncomfortable working here and everybody's going to assume you can't do your (laughs) job well. Um, Like you can't do your job well because, you know, you don't know all of the, you know, deeply ingrained cultural nuances of, for instance, email etiquette and things like that. And I just don't think that that's fair to people because it's it's really not walking the walk when you say oh we want people from all walks of life to be in our offices and then you're like oh unless you don't know this exact grammatical <laughs> you know <laughs> construct then you're out <laughs> uh, yeah. yeah
0: I um I went I went to a like a business school within NC State University the pool College of Management mm. and. Um, like, one of the first things that we were taught was, like, how to write a proper email, and I think that they were really proud of the fact that they offered this course, um, on, like, you know, professional etiquette or whatever, so I, I, like, and it did help me when I got into the business world, quote-unquote, of, like, knowing how to write emails, but now, like, looking back on it, you know, it's, it's just kind of reinforcing that stereotype of, like, what, quote-unquote, professionalism is, and, And, but they, you know, they were kind of like very, very sort of boastful about like, we're the only college in like at NC State that teaches their kids how to write emails and like what that kind of translates to is like every other kid in the school is like kind of fucked if they don't have any knowledge of how right. of quote unquote how to write a proper email quote unquote.
1: Right. We're like we're the best at teaching people how to assimilate. <laughs> 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 um, yeah. Literally. Yeah. Literally what that means. Yeah. I mean, I was shocked when I saw somebody I knows emails at work. I was looking over their shoulder. Not not at my office, but um, their job in a tech company, and they were emailing and they just had no like hi. You know, this person, blah, 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 blah. <laughs> it was just like just a straight question, you know, like um, what time do you want to meet today? Back. Yeah. And I I was so thrown for a loop. And then I realized it is genuinely because their office truly is in this like interesting industry where they do get people who, for instance, are like in you know, learned English as a second language and are currently living abroad and live in all all over the parts of the world. And do have extreme it's not an industry where you need to necessarily have a traditional, you know, four year college education. Um. So I I guess that really shocked me. And then I was like, oh, but this company is very successful. And you can actually imagine <laughs> imagine a world where success is not dictated by whether or not you can look perfect
0: have a a proper salutation and
1: have a proper salutation um and i know isabel and i were talking you know off the pod about um (laughs) (laughs) the the are there instances (laughs) sorry (laughs) off the pod uh about whether there are instances where assimilation is genuinely valuable uh and that got me thinking because i'm not i wasn't really sure i'd be curious what you two think
2: well because i mean literally i mean one of the things that i remember i was talking about about like as a problem about swarthmore is the fact that like so many people who went to swarthmore interview really badly right and like they just really don't know how to do their due diligence and like even just look professional in a lot of these contexts right and it goes back to this whole professionalism thing that you're talking about because it's sort of like well for some jobs like you do especially if you're dealing with outside clients you do need to be able to do that right like you just can't that's like almost that's like definitely way more important probably than a lot of your other like you know skills of just like being able to draft documents and stuff like that right in terms of those like weird unquantifiable soft skills of like can you talk to a client and like whatever make sure that they're happy you know
1: but well, I think that's that's also something that I would argue a lot of people who actually are of diverse backgrounds are very good at code switching and actually are very good at that and I I've recently been stunned by how somebody being from an extremely professional background and a very affluent you know background does not necessarily translate to them for instance having social graces and uh, that there are definitely <laughs> a lot of people I've met who are some of the you know, best um, people in business who actually can speak to varied experience and not just speak to their experience and be like, you know, really actually relate to the person that they're across from no matter who it is. And I think that that's something that's really undervalued. It's one of those like soft skills that when we talk about the value of, you know, diversity, I actually think that that's one of them, but you have to choose to see it that way. As exactly, to, like, yeah. you could yeah. totally
2: get away with more if you're, like, a white man who's just, like, not being presentable and everyone's like, oh, he's so, like, off the cuff. And, like, <laughs> <laughs> right, whereas, like, someone else doing, you'd be like, oh, like, this person yeah. doesn't know what they're doing,
1: you know? And well, it requires those people to also not see it as a liability when, somebody's, yeah. when somebody is like that and actually see it as a skill because I have worked with people who... When I am able to relate to young people in the industry and actually push something forward because they don't want to talk to somebody who, you know, might be four times my age, they are actually very negative towards me about it and they're like oh well you know almost like a reverse sexism conversation like you're just getting this because you're a young woman and people like to talk to young women and not old men and i'm like well yeah like they do (laughs) they (laughs) they do, you know and like and people you know so that's actually but how do you not also feel like i then feel self-conscious because then i feel like it's something that i'm almost getting away with somehow like that my that oh and then it's almost there's also this double edge of like maybe it's a sexuality thing which is so unfair and super sexist because when people say that they're like you're a younger woman and people like to talk to younger women it's like oh no i just <laughs> i think that i'm funny and nice <laughs> like i'm good at <laughs> good at my job so you know. <laughs> i think i'm cordial and witty exactly <laughs> like how dare you <laughs> um but in the moment it's really awkward and i'm like oh yeah i mean yeah. i don't know maybe um, yeah i mean
0: my my entire point on like the idea of, of assimilation is that a lot of black people do spend their whole literally their whole lives like learning assimilation right and and like i think that jury is out on whether or not you know like <laughs> how like the, the morality of you know that the necessity of that but well, it is a skill which is
2: why i'm really glad that it does seem like a lot of especially the tech industry, like a lot of industries are just becoming way more casual. And I think it's because a lot of industries are trying to be like the tech industry. Like, I feel like that's going on in like finance, like I've been working at Fannie Mae, that's definitely a trend at Fannie Mae, right? Of just like people trying to be more casual and like make things more hip. But I actually think that that's probably also leading things to just be more inclusive generally, right? Because you can kind of get away with more rather than having to follow this really strict, you know, sense of professionalism.
0: I mean, at, um, in the the fellowship that I did, the, the the Emerson National Hunger Fellowship, excuse me, um, like, one of the things that my class kind of really advocated for was to, like, for future, for future interviewers for the, um, to be fellows, like, to really, really say explicitly, like, we don't care what you're wearing when you, when you interview, and, Um, And like to write that express expressly in the application, um, because I feel like even that is just such like a large step in how applicants will perceive the place that they're the place that they're going to be doing for. Right.
1: Definitely. That's a big conversation, it seems, in hiring in general about what you how people who are hiring managers can present an application so that actually more people who are qualified apply Uh, because I remember actually a Swarthmore professor, she went into the Treasury Department to help them diversify their candidates because something like something like a paltry number, like maybe less than 10% of all economists at the Treasury Department are women. And it, it was also because they found that one of the contributing factors was because the way that they were writing these applications was specifically geared towards you know, people with a quantitative background that was traditionally only held by men because women are discouraged to take math and science, like STEM courses and things like that. So it was and then they were literally like, oh, never in their life is this economist going to need this one specific class. We should just take that off. Like we should actually be realistic about what the position requires and that if you need additional, you can get like educational stipends or you can get whatever to support you. But even those lower positions were not welcoming towards people because they were things like and and yeah it's true like when you go and interview at a fancy place or whatever or not a fancy place and you have to look that way it almost just also makes you worse as a candidate sometimes because you're just uncomfortable like you're just worrying if you look out of place and I, I feel like nobody should worry about that yeah, yeah
2: definitely and I think that that really ties into like one of my number one <laughs> Hills <laughs> that I die on every time.
0: It's hot take hours. Yeah,
2: this, is, this is really my hot take. I am such a huge fan of James Damore, right? And he, (laughs) for those who don't remember, I think it was back in like 2017, was this guy who was fired from Google for writing this internal memo about how Google treats diversity, right? And then it totally blew up and went viral in the media. But I truly don't understand because I feel like nobody actually read the actual memo because I in my opinion, when you read the actual memo, it was filled with things that I think are actually super, like, scientifically based and also just good suggestions, right? So I think a lot of the flack that he got, for those of you who, who don't remember this incident, was that he basically in this memo was talking about there are some inherent differences between men and women right? And a lot of what Google caters for, not necessarily intentionally, but just because it was an organization that was created by men, right, is, you know, caters to those, like, traits that we associate with men right and i think a lot of the flack that he got was he was trying to make this biological argument but i personally do not care about whether it's biological or if it's like a nature versus nurture like even if it's completely socialized i do think that he has a point in that we are socialized differently right and so you can say okay let's get more women you know into the pipeline so they can become coders and stuff like that but his whole suggestion was like instead of doing these like diversity quotas and stuff like that let's actually change what the workplace at google looks like by having more you know he's like look we know from you know studies that women are more social right whether that's like a conditioned or scientific thing whatever right That means that if all of our programmers are literally just like sitting in a basement coding all day, women don't want to do that job, right? (laughs) And like I really resonated with that because like when I was taking computer science classes, I hated that too, right? And he's like, why don't we make the like have more pair programming or make coding more of a collaborative you know experience and do more group coding and things like that and he's like i think if we create conditions that are going to be more conducive to the kinds of work environment that women want to work in then we'll be able to like not only hire more women but retain more women because like a lot of their issue was that they were hiring all of these women but they weren't able to get them to actually stay, right? Because once they got there, the culture was super alienating.
1: I've never read the Google memo, but I remember when it came out and how much of an uproar there was about it because of the <laughs> biological like, stance, whatever. the yeah. propo- Whatever he was saying about biological differences between men and women. And those seem pretty messed up. Uh, but on the whole, I do understand the argument of being like, you know, whether it's good or bad women and men have been socialized differently and certain environments don't support people, uh, minorities in general. And like, we should then change. If that's what he's saying, then I agree that, you know, like we should be changing the culture because for instance, it's it's does no good if you just say, you know, we at this institution uphold this view of professionalism or our workplace that is based on basically, you know, a white supremacist perfectionism outlook, um, and then say, oh, we'll accept people that are outside of that view, but we won't actually change <laughs> the way that we hold that view. Um, so they can just be here, but they're going to be very obviously othered and feel uncomfortable the whole time. So yeah, I think I think definitely it's about institutions actually accepting that they want to change. And I know that we've had conversations about whether It's actually profitable to change or whatever, you know, not even profitable, just if if it's a quote unquote good thing and how feasible and how to convince people that they should change. Because a big thing, right, is that when you're successful, you know, you'll just keep doing the same thing because you're like, well, we succeeded in having this super exclusionary and bad, you know, policy of, you know, being in this realm because that's the way that the society is built. And we're reflecting that society and that's not our problem because we're reflect you know and I think there, there's a lot of not being accountable to that totally just, I think that yeah. people
2: definitely need to like put more pressure on companies to acknowledge that they really do have the power to change norms right they can't just mm-hmm. say look this is what society is like like we can't help that like yes you can right like I do think that for example <laughs> the fact that because of this pandemic, Twitter is letting all of their workers work from home indefinitely is really going to change norms in the workplace for tons of other companies and other industries. Oh,
1: it's huge. I mean, all of the women who have been saying, like, I can do my job from home after I return from, um, you know, paid parental leave or and having a baby. And then they're like, but I would love just to work from home so I don't have to commute every day. And all those firms that said fucking kid exactly all those kids all those like you know companies that were like that's infeasible are now gonna have to have a reckoning and be like you know what actually you did a great job when you weren't pregnant yeah (laughs) i'm actually that's like you know brings up a good question of like do you think that places are now going to be hit with law firms sorry lawsuits because people will have been able to exhibit that they did a good job under A remote working environment and that, for instance, women who ask to be able to work remotely because of childcare responsibilities, not even women and men, you know, obviously go out on paid parental leave and whatever. Not that that's necessarily protected. Uh, But I wonder if that will lead to more of those kind of cases where they're like, you're actually only denying me based on my your perception of my gender and my ability to do this. Um, anyway, that was the sidebar, but I'm, like, curious if that all.
2: Yeah, I mean, I, I hope so. I don't know exactly how you would argue it, like, whether it's basically just, like, a discrimination thing of, like, look, you know, if I clearly did this and, I, you know, in, in a way that was perfectly sufficient. I, yeah, I don't know. I don't know enough about the law to know what legal basis there would be. But, I mean, if there is a basis, I would hope that that's totally something that happens, right?
0: Yeah. I mean, maybe COVID's laying the perfect... Legal case for it, right? It's like if anyone um, gets fired from their job after you know working from home becomes optional again, and it's literally just because they want to work from home, then they have like you know between four and X amount of months rip us until to show that like yo, you didn't have any complaints about how I was doing my job at all during this point when I was working from home,
2: right? And I wonder if actually, perversely, companies are in anticipation of that telling everyone they're doing like a bad job right i think Ooh, <laughs> to justify shit. <laughs> like, that would be wavy. doing that I, I don't i've never heard of that <laughs> happening but like i'm just trying to think of like what kind of perverse incentives would come out of yeah. that right
0: that's some next level shit
2: yeah so that they can literally justify saying that you have to go back to work
0: we've seen the entire company's productivity go down so you'll have to come back
2: (laughs) yeah because that's the thing is i really feel like almost all the companies that have been tracking that kind of data have seen the productivity go up
1: right (laughs) that's definitely the case yeah 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 i've seen that too I mean other than the general economy tanking but <laughs> for sure <laughs> that's a bummer
2: but yeah like not having to commute like not feeling like that's the thing is when when companies start saying like oh we have to all go back into the office like and be in this super stressful environment where everyone has to wear masks and their desks have to be six feet apart like why would you ever choose that over the comfort and safety of your own home
1: you know totally i was really nervous that and i know it's been a conversation speaking of diversity and inclusion dai stuff that during a pandemic obviously Everything about this, you know, negatively impacts people of color. And that really made me think of it in different work environments I've been in because like, as we talked about, most people who are diverse are at the bottom and are the most vulnerable in terms of furloughs and pay cuts. And I, I wish that that was more of a conversation because I think that's one of those things when you hold people's feet to the flames and you say, do you actually, value yourself as a diverse company or is this just checking a box but that person is completely expendable when it comes to an economic downturn? I think that that is something that I could see as a really good moment to say, hey, this is a good test of whether you actually value diversity and inclusion. And obviously I have no idea what the legal ramifications of them being like, okay, we're going to keep our black staff but we're going to fire all the white people.
0: (laughs) it sounds like that sounds like a discrimination lawsuit it does
1: but i don't know i mean that's if you i guess believe in reverse discrimination basically but, but i'm sure I think, legally I think, think legally, absolutely I think legal right does. <laughs> we hate to see that well because
2: like that's why there's all these like affirmative action lawsuits right too of like people yeah. being like oh like you yeah. let in a black student over me even though right. my yeah. gpa was higher whatever whatever right
0: i think i don't think it's i don't think it's a good idea to ever make a decision solely based on race of anybody, regardless of their race and or like what's motivating you to make a decision. I think that like it can certainly be part of the factors and if like as a company you're laying off a bunch of people, you should maybe look at like, you know, the racial makeup of the people, like of the of this group of people that you're planning on firing and see if there's any disparities disparities there. And if there are, think about why that is and maybe make make some some different calls.
2: Totally. Well also I'm- there's like a really awkward argument of like maybe you know women or whatever fill in the blank minority like just naturally want to do a certain subset of jobs that other demographics don't want to do right because like for example there's so many more women in nursing and like obviously there's lots of reasons around that but I'm sure a lot of it is also the fact that men like feel whatever stigmatized about being
1: a nurse right even though that's that's lessening now right Yes, but also we devalue those positions in society and we underpay people because it's a woman's. Right. It's like a chicken and egg problem. Right. Exactly. So I don't think that it's feasible to say that, you know, women enter these positions and because they want to do work that just is naturally paid lower (laughs) and not as valuable. I think that that's just exactly a reflection of how valuable we see jobs that are traditionally done by women and the fact that people devalue them.
0: I think it's I think it's definitely both like you can't like I think that there's a lot of data behind the idea that like you know the different the different sexes make different choices and like like regardless of whether it's nature or nurture I think yeah we should definitely value nurses more 100% like right like that and then and then also think about like why we are as a society pushing women into undervalued positions
1: Mm -hmm. right yeah Cause and it, I think go ahead. Yeah. I was just going to say that there are definitely different paths that are more open to different people um and that and that I would agree that nursing is traditionally one of those things that people have been more able to get into because there's also, for instance, a more viable path seen for them. And I think that that is really, really important to note that it's exactly that thing. Like when you see somebody doing the job that you might want to do or even you don't want to do, but you see it as a viable path for you that you're more likely to go do it. I mean, I relate to that immensely because I had always been told right that i was terrible at math and that i should never take an econ class and blah 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 And i was so intimidated out of taking econ and then i entered my field and i saw not necessarily around me but i saw women in the government who were chief economists and who ran like the fdic for instance and i was like oh my gosh yeah everybody's lying (laughs) literally everybody lied to me everybody lied to me and said that I because of my empathy and all these other things I would be better in a sociology class or a political science class and things like that and that was just they're full of shit (laughs) and I believe that I believe that so that makes me well and also
2: yeah I do think that there are totally cases where it works in the opposite direction where like there's There's, for example, like, there's definitely been articles that I've read around part of what's fueling the opioid crisis that there's, you know, all these people who were formerly in, like, factories and then got laid off and, like, there's all of these, like, kind of, like, like hot spots around the country where like there's so many people who just like don't have jobs anymore right and like there are things like you know like around the country like nursing jobs are in in super high demand and just that that, like literally those like white men who were in those factory jobs before do not feel empowered to like take those jobs so i just think it works like the the putting like different jobs in these weird gender buckets or racial buckets like doesn't
1: really help anybody right it's not just the minorities (laughs)
2: Exactly. Literally it's affected. like
1: the exact you know, example. I love that example because it's the exact example of how the patriarchy screws everybody. Right. And like <laughs> that if you don't have a job but you're unwilling to work at a nursing home in a nursing position because you're yeah. a like, man. Dude, just
0: be a fucking nurse and shut the fuck up. Exactly. It's you just know, like, like. <laughs> Yeah.
1: And it's I get the culture I get the cultural issues. Right? But it's it's real. Yeah. It's definitely real, but it's also something that is yeah, negatively affects everybody, including people who are not minorities. So.
0: All right, Kristen, what was your uh, favorite part about sitting uh, in one place in Georgia and not going outside?
1: Okay. It was definitely... <laughs> Uh, Being able to see my girlfriend for the first time in two months. (laughs) I think you have to give Uh, the listener some context to that question.
0: Okay, so our friend Kristen here uh, spent a large amount of time in Georgia, Savannah, Georgia, right, Kristen? Yep. Um, And you know, I don't know if I don't know if you want to go into the reasoning as to why, but um, but I would, you know, I mentioned in hearing what her favorite part was.
1: Uh, yeah, so my favorite part was basically That we were right on Forsyth Park And we could just go walk around the park every single day And it was really beautiful And there were all these beautiful Spanish moss Sp- Dude, you know, that's Spanish moss full of chiggers don't touch I it. <laughs> I literally slapped it out of Kayla's hand because I oh, thought good. of you because you said it because I was I was playing with it and I handed it to Kayla and then I had your voice in the back of my head being like you are going to have these horrible bugs that like go under your skin and I was like we cannot enjoy this anymore. <laughs> like,
0: Slash it out of range. We, we as a, a country do not talk about chiggers. Like <laughs> <laughs> the fact that we like actively. Like house bugs that burrow under your skin is ridiculous i
1: recently learned that a friend had them three times because she slept with somebody who had them and i was like holy shit that is that is the biggest indictment of a human being in terms of their their (laughs) hookup ableness that i've ever heard wow
0: (laughs) i'd rather i'd probably rather get a more, you know, like an STI from somebody than like get oh them. Oh my god! Hands down, if it, if it down. was curable, yep.
1: hands down. Oh my god, I can't imagine. No. <laughs>
0: no. <laughs> okay, well, uh, <laughs> Kristen, thank you so much.
1: You're so welcome. Thank um, you for having me.
0: For being another voice of diversity on this already diverse podcast, mm-hmm. oh. um, which I do think, about that we should start. We should start advertising as like a diverse podcast. Why do you say that? You know. I don't know I feel like you know like I'm I'm black and like we like people want to people are looking for like black media to to consume or like diverse media to Hmm, consume. I know I am
1: I know I am Mm -hmm. I love love hearing your voice on the pod every time I tune in and listen
0: (laughs) (laughs) okay well uh it's been great uh (laughs) if you heard anything oh wait no Kristen do you have anything that you want to plug
1: oh good god um No, just people just need to stop being racist and look look internally. That's all. That's my plug.
0: (laughs) As always, if you heard anything that you liked or you didn't like, um, you can find us at I'm the Villain Pod. That's our Twitter, our Gmail, and our Instagram. Um, You know, if you really hate Kristen or really love Kristen, let us know. Otherwise, bye.